This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Talking uh, about Mary. And uh, for those of you here who were here last week, uh, we talked about the call of Christmas. Uh, and last week, it was a call to prepare. And as we're digging into the story of Mary a little bit today, it's the call to provide. And so um, why don't we just uh, bow our heads and pray this morning and welcome uh, the presence of God as we dive into his word this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for uh, your presence that is in this place. We thank you, God, that when you're here, all things are possible. We thank you, God, that when you're here, you can, you can do unimaginable things, things we, we can't even think or imagine or, or, or come up with, Lord. And so we thank you, God, for your plan and for your purpose for each individual that's in this place, for every family that is represented here. And Lord, we pray, God, today that your voice would be heard not just in our ears but in our hearts, Lord, that we would hear what you're saying and that we would embrace you, that we would embrace your will and your purpose for each and every one of our lives, Lord. We give you all the glory and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, sorry, I'm a little, I'm ringing a little bit there. Am I standing in the wrong spot? Um, so William Cook and Charles Wheatstone were British inventors in the 1830s who are credited with the breakthrough technology and communications uh, that enabled the first telegram uh, to ever be sent via an electri- electric telegraph system. And then on January 11th in 1838, Samuel Morse, and has anyone heard of the Morse code? Uh, Samuel Morse sent the first telegram in the United States across two miles of wire at the Speedwell Ironworks near Morristown, Morristown, uh, Morristown sorry, New Jersey. Um, and while the telegram continued to gain momentum as a means for delivering messages, because these were all ways that people were trying to communicate between different people in different places at different times, and that started, um, telegrams in particular became a very popular way of delivering messages, people also started becoming very anxious at the arrival of those messages because they often contained bad news. A death has occurred. An accident has happened, a sickness has spread, a war has begun. Bad news or tragic news in short phrases is really hard to receive, right? And then if we fast forward a little bit, 1933, the Western Union, which was an American telegraph company, they actually began offering singing telegrams. (laughs) In, in a way to make receiving messages a little more fun and lighthearted and more enjoyable. And so can you imagine, uh, you know, the telegrams that would come through singing? Honey, I'll be late for dinner tonight. You know, it's like, that's much easier, right? Than, yeah, anyhow, not going to go there. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was thinking of this. Um, and recently I sent a text message to Ray, uh, and I was trying to sing over text uh, with the fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, except then I'm like, she quite, quite often when she's driving, she'll do that, you know, text to read. And so I'm like, ah, that's going to come through, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> like, it just didn't have the same effect, right? So, I'm so... Still great, she got the point, right? But I'm like, that didn't, 
work the way I intended it. So, uh, you know, and it's that monotonous voice. So I, I like the singing telegrams. That's great. But while God didn't send a singing telegram to Mary, what he did um, is he would certainly come and speak to her with a message that he wanted to get across. And at first she was fearful, but in fact, he actually brought great news. And if I can say it, the delivery of this message was anything but ordinary. So all those breakthrough technologies, God has his his own breakthrough technology called Gabriel. (laughs) And whenever he wants to say something really, 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 really special, then he comes and he actually sends Gabriel, who's an archangel, who stands before the very throne of God to communicate the message of God from the heart of God to his people. So you can imagine that Mary was like, Ah, I would have taken a singing telegram. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, but here he shows up in his splendor and he says, Mary, I have something very, very important to say to you. And it's the start of some very good news that actually changed the course of humanity forever. So I want to read to you uh, that passage and then we're actually going to break it up a little bit. Uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. And you can follow along with me behind me on the screen. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... Remember, we talked about that last week. And if you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. It's awesome. Uh, But God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Do not be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Can you guys say that with me? For the word of God will never fail. The word of God never, ever fails. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. See, this message that Gabriel brought her was anything but tragic or sad. It was a message of excitement, a message of joy, a message to provide. It was a call for Mary to provide. And so we're going to look at her response. And if you think about it, in this context, at this moment of time, Mary was living in a time where every Jewish girl knew about this prophecy that said from Isaiah, we're going to read it in a little bit, but there was a prophecy that actually said that there will be a virgin that will conceive and she will bear the son of the most high. And so every Israeli girl in that time was dreaming of becoming that person that was called by God. So when, angel, when the angel Gabriel comes to her, she, she is caught right in that moment. And can you imagine the, the fear at first and then the confusion and then that excitement that would have started welling up in her saying, could, could this be? Could this be the moment in time that we have been waiting for as a nation? We have been crying out for, we've been longing for, we've been waiting for. And now I'm standing here before an angel of the Lord and he's telling me that I am going to provide the means for which the Savior of the world will be born. Can you imagine that moment? 
That was an awesome moment. The idea of being chosen to be part of a divine plan would have been absolutely overwhelming. Verse 26 sets the stage for us when it says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. And if you think, if you study a little bit about the, uh, the history of the time, Nazareth was actually not that uh, great of a town <laughs> to be in. It wasn't that famous. It's a very, um, it, it's, it's in quite contrast to the city of Jerusalem. If the Messiah was going to come anywhere, it would have made total perfect sense for him to actually come to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the center of the world at the time for, uh, for the nation of Israel. That's where everything happened. That's where all the big events took place. That's where all the feasts were celebrated. That's where all the news were spread from. It was literally the hub of all the things that happened. And Jerusalem would have made a lot more sense. Look at the normal Judean opinion of the town of Nazareth. In uh, John chapter 1, 48, it says, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? That was the opinion of the day. They're like, that little town? Like we used to say, the schwa, Oshawa? I'm sorry if you're from there. I'm so sorry. But, you know, we've heard that phrase, the schwa. Can anything good come from the schwa? Um, yes, it can. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> because God is miraculous and he can do all things. So, <laughs> anyhow. But what is this saying? If we look at the region of Galilee, it was very, which is where Nazareth was, it was very different than the region of Judea. A lot of people would just stay in the region of Judea. They didn't even want to come to Galilee at all. But God sends an angel to a priest, like we heard last week in Jerusalem, with a call to prepare. But what he's doing here is he sends an angel to a young woman in Nazareth with a call to provide. And really what this is saying is that anywhere on earth is equal opportunity for God to reach into your situation to speak right to you, right where you're at. doesn't matter if you live on the right or wrong side of the tracks, if you know what I'm saying. It doesn't matter if you are in the high tax bracket or below the poverty line. God sees you. He knows you. He knows where you are. He knows his will and purpose for your life. And God is calling you in this Christmas season, to open up your heart, to make space for him in your heart and in your life with a call to provide in and through you all the things that he has planned for you. And can I say it this way? You are never off God's grid. He always knows where you are. And when you feel like you're in a bad place, when you feel like you're in a dark place, when you feel like you've been overlooked, where no one is seeing you, no one is noticing you, God sees you. God knows where you are. God has not forgotten his plan and purpose for your life. And he is eager, so eager, in fact, that he will do anything to get your attention in order to be able to speak to you, encourage you, and empower you to do everything that he has planned for you to do. Verse 27 tells us about the one who would be called to provide this Savior. She would be, Mary, would be the most unlikely candidate in the whole world. She was this little young girl. She was probably no more than 15. And she lived in this city that was, or town that was not very famous, in an area that most people didn't even want to visit. Yet God chooses her. Why? Because she has a heart to serve 
her Savior in whatever way that he desires to serve, to use her. And if I can say it this way, God loves to use the unlikely. God loves to use the unknown. He's not after the big shots. He's not after the glamour. He's not after, you know, how many followers you have on Facebook. (laughs) He is after your heart and your willingness to say, here I am, God. Use me. Choose me. Do whatever you want in me. Verse 27 says this, that he came to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So this New Living Translation uses the word engaged, but New King James Version actually uses the word betrothed. And it actually goes beyond the idea of being engaged. I mean, in our day, you put a ring on the finger and you say, I'm engaged. And then you go kind of on with your life until that big wedding day. But back in these days... A Jewish engagement or betrothal actually resulted in a marital status. And they were actually already considered betrothed, but in our eyes, we would know know it as married. Everything except a consummated marriage. And so what what they did is once they made that commitment to someone else, they lived as if they were wholly committed, they had made a covenant, they had made a commitment to one another. And this marital status called betrothal, though unconsummated, was as sacred as marriage itself. In the eyes of that culture and time, they were considered um, together for, for life in that covenant commitment. But in the midst of this, God kind of interrupts this general plan that they had going. And he comes to Mary and he speaks to her and he says, by the way, <laughs> you're going to have a baby. And they're like, that, this is a problem <laughs> because we're just betrothed and this is going to look real bad, <laughs> right? And he says, I have chosen you. And actually, you could tell how significant this was because Joseph said, I think I need to divorce her, right? Because he knew the significance of betrothal and he knew that people could understand that this, this was wrong. There was something unusual, something different about this situation. But then for those of you who who know the story, an angel actually appears to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife and raise this child as your own. But he is the son of the Most High. So God in his mercy actually affirms the same promise to Joseph who then takes Mary in as his wife. And then um, the rest is our, our Christmas story. But the fact that she is signified as a virgin goes all the way back to the prophecy Um, of the Messiah from Isaiah that all the Jews would be aware of in that day. And this is what I would refer to earlier. From Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive. Hello. A virgin conceiving is supernatural, right? A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, this is Luke writing um, Back, well, back in the story where he's talking about how the angel came to Mary. And listen to what it says in Luke 1, 28. It says, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. And if I can say this, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Because God uses the same means. Remember, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We see our world in our little um, perspective. But God looks at the world with the same eyes because he is... He was, and he is going to be. And so when he comes and he speaks to her and he says, the Lord is with you, listen to what the angel, same angel Gabriel appeared to a man in the Old Testament named Gideon. 
um, in Judges 6.12, and listen to what he says. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So God, when he comes to visit his people, he wants to reassure us, first and foremost, that you need to have no fear. When God speaks to you about something big and impossible, don't be afraid because the Lord is with you. He's walking with you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to drop this impossible promise on your life and then take off and go have fun. Do it on your own. But each time he comes, he actually reassures his people to say, the Lord is with you. Now let's talk about what he wants to do with you. But he is with you, so don't forget that. Notice that repetition. When he comes to Mary, he says, the Lord is with you. When he comes to Gideon, he says, the Lord is with you. And when you go back to Isaiah's prophecy, he says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? God with you. And so he's actually prophetically giving a promise to say, God is with you. The call of Christmas for you and me in this season right now is to say that God is with you. God is with you. That's the greatest news. That's why we sing these songs saying, Emmanuel, God with us, because we're declaring that God is still with us. He's going before us to make a way where there seems to be no way. Since Mary was a virgin, it means that God would actually have to be the one to create what she was called to provide. Because how could Mary provide a baby? She couldn't. But God actually was so awesome that it says, I'm with you, I'm calling you to provide, but I'm actually going to give you what you need to provide. Isn't that awesome? That's just like, that's God. That's how he works because he knows that we need him. So he has made us with this void inside where we know that we need him. And unless that void is filled by him, there's nothing or no one else that can actually fill that void in our life. And so he says, when I call you to do something, I'm not just going to tell you what to do, but I'm actually going to provide you with the very thing that you need in order to accomplish what I called you to do. And that is why it's so awesome to serve God, because he never just leaves us out there on our own to do it. But literally, he's saying to Mary, I'm calling you to bear a son, and I'm going to overshadow you, and I'm going to supernaturally make you conceive this son so that you can provide a savior for the world that's going to restore humanity back into relationship with God. Whoa, that's a big promise. But it sounds very much like what he does today. He calls us to worship him, but he actually provides us with what we need to worship him right? He calls us to give generously. And I love what, what Pastor Ray shared this morning is that he actually wants us to be givers out of relationship with him, not out of duty and obligation. But he says, I'm going to provide the relationship that you need in order for you to have what you need and the provision that you need for the vision so that you can sow into the kingdom to accomplish the very plan and purpose for which I have called you here for such a time as this. God always provides. Let's go on in verse 29. It says this, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now, when this angel comes to Andrew Gabriel, and he actually gives her this name. 
and says, you shall name him Jesus, very much like he did when he met Zachariah in the temple that day, and it says, you shall name him John. In those days, names were very, very, very significant. Uh, They spoke of the parents' hope for that child. And so he's actually saying, you shall name him Jesus. And right away, any Jew would go, okay, what does Jesus mean? Listen to this. It means the Lord is salvation. The Lord is salvation. So he says, I'm going to give you a son, and you shall call him the Lord is salvation. Because I'm giving you the very promise that is going to provide salvation for the earth. See, names are indicative of parental hope. So when we named our kids, uh, all 17 of them, um, <laughs> just five, just five, I'm just kidding. Um, but we have Josiah, and for those of you who know the story of Josiah in the Old Testament, he became king at eight, he restored true worship to Israel. Josiah in and of itself actually means the Lord is my healer or fire branch of God. Right? And so we thought, that's an awesome name, and it's an awesome character to raise a son by the name of Josiah, because it signifies something. It talks about the promise of God. Hannah actually means favor and grace. So Hannah, when we named her, we also thought of Hannah, the the mother of the prophet Samuel that carried a promise, and Samuel then became the greatest prophet. It says not one word that he ever spoke fell to the ground. That's an accurate prophet. Uh, Just saying. That's awesome. But she was the mother who carried that promise. And then Caleb actually means wholehearted or faithful. And so when we named our, our third son, or our third child, rather, we're naming him because we see him as a loyal, faithful, wholehearted person. And if you know the story of Caleb in the Bible, he was 80 years old. And most people, how many know that when you're 80, you'd like to retire, right? You've probably actually already been retired for about 15 years or so. And you want to find a good rocker recliner from Lazy Boy and, you know, kick your legs back and have a good cup of tea and like a butterfly cup. And, uh, and you want to take it easy and go, I've done, I've done my share, right? But Caleb at the age of 80 is like, give me the mountain. Are there some giants that I can fight? Like they're going into the promised land and, and you know, Joshua's like, you can take any part. Why don't you go over here by the stream where there's green grass? And he's like, no, give me the giants. I want to fight. I want to I conquer. I want to fulfill every promise of God. Why? Because he had carried for 40 years, 40 years, he had, prom- he had carried inside of him a promise that we are going to go in to the promised land and we're going to see the fulfillment of the promise that God gave me 40 years ago. And he was one of two people that had carried with faith that promise in his heart. So at the age of 80, he's like, uh-uh, I am not just sitting back and relaxing. Finally, I'm going to fulfill everything that God said to me 40 years ago. Can you imagine carrying around a prophecy for 40 years? And then when it's before your eyes, you're like, <laughs> right? So that's Caleb. So our little timid Caleb, that's, that's who we think of. We think of that wow, warrior, right? And then our wonderful grace. Grace means free, unmerited favor. We also need grace for grace. But, you know, um, <laughs> you know her name is very, very prophetic. We, we speak it over her all the time. Free, unmerited favor from the Lord. And she is awesome. And I'm telling you right now. You look out, that little girl is going to turn this world upside down for Jesus. I'm telling you right now, she has a call and purpose on her life. And then Abigail, joy. Uh, Abigail actually means the joy of my father. Um, And we named her Joy as her middle name because Abigail is our joy. And sorry, 
but, you know, people are like, wow, you have a lot of kids. And, I, <laughs> and we do. Um, but, but when we look at our little Abigail, she is such a joy. And when we actually chose the name Abigail and started looking for the meaning, we had already decided her middle name was going to be Joy. And then we realized it actually meant the Father's Joy. <laughs> and so she is our joy. She is our little princess. And, you know, when you're having one of those days, she just comes twirling with her little thing going, can I dance for you, mommy? You know, and you're like, oh, you know, life is better. And she's awesome. But she will bring joy, not just to our family, but I believe to many of those around her. But why am I saying all this? I'm saying it because there's something in a parent's life. When you look at your child and you go, I have dreams for you. I have desires for you. I want God to do everything and more. I was talking to a friend of mine in Oshawa. He used to be the drummer when I was there, and he's an awesome guy. And when I went back to play recently in Oshawa, um, his son was my drummer. So when they had told me, like, okay, so Josh is going to drum for you, I'm like, Josh? Like, little Josh? <laughs> Who's, like, 10? They're like, no, he grew up. <laughs> he's, he's 18 now. <laughs> right? And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Awesome. I'm like, is he, is he good? And they're like, he's awesome. And then I get up there and I start playing with it. And I'm like, whoa, what happened to you? So I was having a conversation after with his dad named Adam. And I said, Adam, why don't you play anymore? Because he's an awesome drummer too. I said, why, why don't you play anymore? And he goes, you know, it just fills my heart to see my son do what I did, but better. And isn't that the heart of every parent is to see your child do what you do or maybe not, <laughs> maybe didn't do, but better. So when the angel speaks to Mary, he says, you're in this insignificant little town that has been passed over and kind of scoffed and forgotten. But inside of you, I'm placing a promise of someone who's going to do greater things than any other human that has ever walked the face of this earth is going to do. So all you need to do, Mary, is to provide a place for the son to be born. Can you imagine the hopes and dreams that came into her heart at that very moment? She was living the fulfillment of a prophecy that had been prophesied for thousands of years. And the angel says, you shall call him the Lord of salvation. She was called to provide the womb for the Son of God. And then she was called to nurture the gift of the Son of Man. See, Mary herself could not produce a son. But God would give her one whose name means God saves. So in essence, this really is the gospel. Humans cannot produce their own salvation. But God can and has chosen to accomplish it for all humanity. Isn't that the gospel in a nutshell? Mary was called to provide what God had decided. She provided herself. And that's exactly what God is asking of you and of me this morning. It's just for you to provide yourself. God will do the rest. God will work all the other things out. See, if you do the possible, God will do the impossible. And listen to her processing through the angelic message that came. In verse 34, she asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I think most of us would be like, you know, when God comes and says something really big to us, we're like, that's impossible. That's what she's saying, right? It's, how is that going to work? Because I can't figure it out. 
And it's the very same thing with us. When God comes and speaks to you, you start going, I don't know how that's going to happen. I can't figure that one out. All God is saying is provide yourself. Lay your heart down. Open up your heart and let me come in and do the impossible. See, I don't think this is a statement of unbelief. It's just a question where she was trying to understand. Many of us are, are afraid to even ask the question because we think if we ask a question, it comes across as unbelief, and then, and then we're bad. And then God will move on to someone else. But can I say this? God welcomes your questions because he's got big shoulders, and he's all right with that. He's all right with us having moments where we go, and how's that going to happen? <laughs> and sometimes he'll tell us, and sometimes he won't <laughs> because sometimes he knows that we're not quite ready to fully grasp how things would happen. But Mary simply had to trust God with the details. And can I say those are some big details, <laughs> like she could potentially be stoned to death, but she had to say, okay, God, I, I surrender myself to you, and I'm going to trust you for those details. Mary was being called into the promise. She would simply have to provide herself, but God had the power to supply that promise. So the Gabriel, uh, Gabriel the angel answers her, her how by saying, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. So Luke, again, writes about the Holy Spirit actually six times in the first two chapters of Luke. So why does he keep mentioning how the Holy Spirit will do this? The Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will overshadow. I believe the reason he does this so many times is because the call of Christmas is wrapped up in the activity and the work of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, he really is the one that sets into action what God has promised. And so we need that. The word overshadow comes from the Greek word uh, episkiazo. And it means the holy and wonderful, sorry, holy and powerful presence of God. The same meaning from this word is how the cloud covered the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it says that the cloud hovered over the tabernacle. It's the same word in Hebrew being used as the Greek word saying that the Holy Spirit overshadows and rests upon his people when they filled that tent with the glory of God. Uh, the word episkiazo in Greek is used three, in the three different accounts of the transfiguration. So when they were up on that mountain and Jesus uh, went through this process of transfiguration, in Ma- uh, Matthew 17 it says, but even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice came from the cloud and said, this is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. So in each account, this voice comes out and affirms and identifies Jesus as the son of God. So when he comes over Mary, he says, you're going to be overshadowed by that same presence. And she would recognize that word. You're going to be overshadowed by the very powerful and holy presence of God. And in the transfiguration, God speaks and says, that's my son. And what is he saying to Mary? You're going to bear my son. He shall be the son of God and the son of man. Emmanuel, God with us. See, the overshadowing talks about something not static, but active and productive, and creative. It causes Mary to actually conceive this child, and such activity by the Spirit of God actually goes back all the way to creation. Remember in Genesis 1-2, it says, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. It's actually the same concept, the same word, that it was hovering, covering, overshadowing, And in that moment, something creative happens. God speaks the word who was Jesus, but who set it into action? 
Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, it says, was hovering. And the moment God spoke, boom, it happened. Let there be light, boom, there it is. And so what God is doing in this moment is he's speaking over Mary. He's hovering over her, overshadowing her with the very holy and powerful presence of God and saying, let there be a child and let us call him Jesus. Boom, it happens. Life flourishes where the Spirit of God is at work. Psalm 104 says it this way, verse 30. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. How many of you would like to be renewed and have that creative power of God active and alive in you and and making alive those promises that you maybe have suppressed or, or put to the back burner, and God wants to come into you and literally breathe life into you by his spirit, by overshadowing you with the very presence and powerful presence of God so that you can start doing everything that God has set for you to do. The overshadowing spirit not only protects, but it also creates. And in Mary, it brings about the conception in her womb that she then provides. The call of Christmas is for her to provide. Uh, N.T. Wright says, The Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, enabling her, as the Spirit always does, to do and be more than she could do by herself. But at the same time, the power of the Most High will overshadow her, This is something different. God himself, the creator, will surround her completely with his sovereign power. See, God's power, we can see it from the outside, but the Holy Spirit actually comes from the inside within us because he says he lives in us. Now listen to this, and I'm wrapping up with this. Luke 1, verse 36, 37 says, What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. This is the angel speaking again. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Can you imagine? This is before the time of Instagram, Facebook, text messaging, telegraphs, singing telegraphs, talk to text, or text to talk. (laughs) Mary had no idea that Elizabeth was pregnant. She lived far away, and the first she hears of it is actually through this angel. So can you imagine, she actually made the journey to go see Elizabeth by faith, right? She had no proof that Elizabeth was pregnant, and it was a little weird because she was old, like really old. Yet she takes that by faith, and it just shows that Mary was ready to say, okay, God, whatever you say, I believe you. I'm going to act on faith in what you're saying. But think about this. Out of God's goodness, he provides a mentor for Mary. He knew the rejection she was going to face. And can I say for you that no matter where you're at in your life, God knows where you are. And if you let him, he will put someone in your path that understands, that's been there, that can help you through your situation. Just like he did with Mary. He sends her an actual mentor. It was her cousin. And he says, she'll believe you. Because she had the angel visit her, (laughs) and it happened. And so she's like on the height of her promise, out to here actually, and and she's quite convinced that it worked because she's six months along. And so if you come and say, I'm going to carry the most high, she's going to believe you. In fact, Elizabeth already knew because as Mary was arriving to come visit her, it says that John actually leapt inside Elizabeth's womb, and before Mary could even tell her the news, and can you imagine like, hi, it's me, not married yet, 
pregnant, right? Can you imagine the processing that must have gone on in Mary's life? But she doesn't even get to say it because before she even gets the words out, Elizabeth says, Mary, you favored woman of God. You're carrying the promise. My son, he's six months old in the womb and he's leapt. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. There's the overshadowing at that very moment. And he left and he said, I recognize something on you. You're carrying the promise of God. You are highly favored. Can you imagine a mentor like that? Where you're battling your own insecurity and they go, I see it in you. You have the promise on you. You can do it. You can, you can fulfill everything God has. See, God in his mercy will provide a mentor for you, just like he did with Mary. I'm going to skip down to the next verse. Uh, Luke 1.37 in the New King James actually says, instead of the word of God will never fail, it actually says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Can you say that? For with God... Nothing will be impossible. Now, can you say it again like you actually believe it? For with God, nothing will be impossible. We serve an awesome God. And you know, when he speaks something into your life, he actually says it because he believes it. So he's just waiting for you to say, I believe it. Not, I believe it, but I believe it. I'm going to provide myself because that's all I can do. God does not ask you to provide something you do not have or that you are not. He says that he sees those things that are not as though they were. So he actually sees you. If you're full of doubt, he actually sees you as full of faith. If he sees you as full of sadness and sorrow and devastation, he sees you when you have got over that. And he sees you when you've walked through that season. And he sees you full of faith, full of love, full of joy. And when you can actually be a testimony to those around you and you can become the mentor instead of needing the mentor. You can then become the mentor and say, okay, I've been there. I've done that. I know what it's like to walk through depression. I know what it's like to walk through darkness. I know what it's like to walk through sickness. I know what it's like to walk through difficulty. I know what it's like to walk through when you have no money left and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bill, but I've been there and I've done that and I got through it because God is with me. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to embrace wherever you're at and say, God, here I am. Little old me from Nazareth. I'm a nobody. But if you so choose to use me, then you can have me. And watch what God will do in your life. Don't you think for one moment that you're not worthy? Don't you think for one moment that your life is too messy? Don't think for one moment that you don't have what it takes. Because there's a God this Christmas that is speaking to you and saying, I'm calling you to provide a place for my presence and my glory to dwell so that you can see, not by yourself, not by your own strength, not by your own works, but by my overshadowing, you can see the impossible become possible. And I can turn you from darkness to light, from sorrow to gladness, from sickness to healing, from depression to joy, from financial difficulty to provision. That's the God that we serve. And he's calling you today to say, God, here I am. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.